Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. So Luke 4, 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him standing on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, all right. We got a nice ring on the microphone. Hey, everybody online. All right, so here we are in Luke chapter four. Um, and we've been in this series for a little bit. We went through the nativity stories in the book of Luke. And two weeks ago, Ian uh, did the passage right before this. We looked at the baptism of Jesus and then the genealogy of Jesus, both of which led to this conclusion that we are both descended from God and descended from man. And immediately after Jesus is baptized, Luke tells us that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. One of my favorite understatements of all time. And during this time, Jesus faces three temptations, right? He faces the temptation of the stones to bread, the temptation to be powerful, and the temptation to be spectacular. The first, the temptation to escape pain, the, escape, uh, the bread, to be, to be powerful and to be spectacular. And Jesus will turn down each of these, and he will come out the other side victorious, shaped and ready to begin his public ministry. So if there's one thing we take away from tonight's passage, it's this. Here's what I want you to get. Temptation will come, but know the way of the cross. Got it? Here, the microphone's off, but you can yell into the microphone. Temptation will come, but know the way of the cross. It's a nice prop, isn't it? And if we know the way of the cross, we will actually come out the other side. We will be formed. We will actually find life. 
So let's dig into that. First of all, temptation will come. So what's Jesus doing in the wilderness, right? It says that he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. What does that remind us of in the biblical story? If you're online, you can type this in and try and beat everybody in person. But the flood? Yeah, the 40, the 40 days of the flood. What else? Moses wandering the desert. Moses wandering the desert. Exodus, yeah. Yeah, in the Old Testament story, when God calls a new people, he calls them out of Egypt. The first thing they have to do is they wander through the wilderness for 40 years. But this is a process of formation, right? It's actually a process by which their weaknesses are cut away and they become the people of God. They become prepared for the task of God to go into the land and establish the nation of Israel. And this is a reminder for us that that this trial this time in the wilderness is not actually just, it's not just punishment, it's actually formation. And so Jesus will go through the same thing, right? He, um, Jesus is fully human. This is a passage that kind of reminds us of that. And he's about to begin his public ministry. And first he needs to be formed. He needs to be prepared. Each of these temptations will come at Jesus again when he goes out to do his ministry, right? People will say, ah, do miracles, do miracles, do miracles. Um, Just, you know, they want him to zap all their problems away. And in the same way, people will try and make him king. And in the same way, people just ask him to put on a show. And Jesus will be ready for these because he's been formed by this time in the desert and prepared and made ready to face the temptations that are coming at him. So this is an important reminder for us, right? That when we go through trials and temptations, it's not because we suck. It's because we are human. If even Jesus has to go through trials and temptations, then we do as well. It's not because God is mad at us. It's because God is allowing us to be formed. In fact, temptation and testing can even be a sign that you're onto something, that you're moving towards something. Sin has this way of punching back when we actually confront it. So sometimes we know that we're on the brink of breaking through to something new when we feel the most trial and temptation. And so when we experience this, when we experience temptations, when we experience trials, when we experience tough choices, it's important to remember that this is not a sign that God is against us or that we are somehow failing. In fact, it might be a sign that God is preparing us for something. God is forming us for something. And so we need to see that when we go through the trials. Temptation doesn't mean that that we are failing. It means we are human. And it actually means we're going through the same thing that Jesus did. And this is cool. This is one of those passages that reminds us that Jesus isn't Superman, right? Jesus is actually fully human. And that means two things for us. One, it means that Jesus understands. And it also means that Jesus is our role model. We, we often forget this, right? When we make Jesus uh, Superman, we, we forget trying to emulate Jesus. But in fact, we are reminded in a passage like this that Jesus is, is uh, the one that we look up to. But yeah, this is the other good news of this passage, that when we go through trials and temptations, Jesus is in it with us because he has been through it. This is uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. I skipped that one. We're going to the next one. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus doesn't battle temptation alone, right? It says that he's full of the Holy Spirit, that God is with him as he goes through these things. And it's a reminder for us to do the same thing, that when we go through trials and temptations, God isn't standing up there waiting to see if we mess it up. Instead, this is the good news of the Bible, that Christ is in it with us, that he walks through it with us, that he understands, that he says, I know. I know what it is to be human with you. Let me walk through this with you. And again, this is the promise that if we walk through it with God, just like Israel in the desert, just like Christ in the wilderness, we will come out the other side prepared and ready for what God has for us. Amen? So the next time you're experiencing temptation and trial, instead of apologizing to God, sorry, 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 open your hands and let God enter in and walk with, it, walk with you through it and you'll come out the other side. Now that said, one of the reasons we, we so often fall to our temptations is because the devil's good at it. And we see that in this passage. A lot of times when we think of temptation, we think of really like carnal, addictive things. We think of alcohol or pornography or shopping or things like that. But what's fascinating is to look at this passage and to look at the nature of the temptations that Jesus goes through, because they aren't those things. There's a couple things we notice in how the devil tries to tempt Jesus in this passage. The first is, uh, I'm borrowing this phrase from Fred Craddock. He says, the devil likes to tempt upwards, not downwards. A lot of times we think about temptation as that. Why don't you go destroy yourself? Why don't you go do something dumb? But instead, what the devil likes to do is say, think about how much better your life would be if you did that. Think about how much easier things would be if you did that. Imagine if you, if you left your marriage. Like, life would be so much better, right? Or if you were able to just get rid of those guys, crush those enemies over there. Imagine how great our society would be, Right? The devil loves to play to those things all the way back to Adam and Eve. You'd be like God if you ate that apple, right? Things would be so much better, so much easier if you did these things. Even our carnal sins, right? Even, even things like alcohol and pornography and shopping, it always comes with the promise that life would be better or easier if we went after those things. I found it interesting. Most of the... Uh, Images, when you image search this passage, look kind of like this. Here the screen is showing a picture of Jesus next to a short goat-like presence. Uh, I think he's winged and he has he's completely black. He has this little goatee beard and he's super creepy. I think if a four-foot-tall bearded, naked guy showed up, I'd be pretty good at saying no to him, right? Like, that wouldn't be that hard. You'd be like, I'm not really buying what that guy's selling, right? Instead, I think when the devil comes to us, it tends to look, feel a little, it look a little bit more like this. Here the screen is showing a beautiful, serene shot of a beach with a beach chair and it's sunny and warm and just absolutely beautiful. 
There you go. Like if you just did these things, this is what life would feel like. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if that's just me. Maybe I'm just the person who likes the, that imagery. But yeah, if you, just, if you just bought this product, if you just got rid of that person, if you just use these things, life would be so much easier. So the devil likes to tempt us upward, not downward. And that's important to remember. Secondly, one of the challenging things is the devil quotes scripture, right? In this passage, the devil comes to Jesus and quotes scripture. And that's challenging to us because the devil loves to use our religious identity. He loves to get us all twisted up in our Christianity and make us feel like we're doing something righteous, even when we're doing something evil. I mean, this is like, unfortunately, way too much of Christian history, right? It's people doing horrible things in the name of Jesus. And this should be a challenge to us that, that uh, this is a good reminder to us, right? That just because like a pastor or a politician can quote the Bible, it doesn't actually mean that the things that they're calling to us to are of God. So we'll come back to that in a little bit, but this again, a reason why temptation is challenging. And lastly, um, I found this idea interesting as I was reading this week. N.T. Wright said this um, about the temptations. He said, the story does not envisage Jesus engaging in conversation with a visible figure to whom we could talk to as one to another. The devil's voice appears as a string of natural ideas in his own head. They are plausible, attractive, and make, as we would say, a lot of sense. I thought that idea was interesting. Like, I don't have a problem with the idea of like a, a Satan being an actual being. I don't need him to be a metaphor or just like a feeling or whatever. And yet uh, I thought N.T. Wright's idea was interesting. The idea that like Satan wouldn't necessarily appear in dialogue with Jesus, but this would be a way of thinking that would come into his head. Like, maybe I should just become king. Maybe I should just turn these stones into bread. Very reasonable things that seem to come to us in our times of trial and temptation. I thought it was interesting when, when Peter tries to talk Jesus out of taking up the cross, what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan, right? That this idea that Satan is this, this like reasonable way of thinking that is totally wrong. So these are the reasons temptation is difficult, right? Because it speaks to our, oftentimes to our, it speaks upward, it speaks scripture, and it speaks to what seems like reasonable ideas. And so it challenges us to think through how do we actually combat these things when temptations come at us, if they can be dressed in such good dressing, how do we actually stand against them? And there's, there's three things that I, that I want to give us that I, I think are helpful. Um, the first is when we experience trial or temptation, and I think it's important to realize in this passage, like part of what Jesus is facing are not actually what a lot of us would call trial or temptation, sometimes just tough choices. When we're unsure whether to go one way or another, when we're unsure whether to listen to one voice or another, or get wrapped up in this idea or that idea. When we face those sorts of things, um, the first is pushback with scripture. We see this, Jesus quotes scripture every time the devil comes at him. And this might seem like a circular argument, right? Because the devil can quote scripture and Jesus quotes scripture. And then we just get in the thing where it's your word versus mine. And yet at the same time, this is where I get to give my plug for like knowing all of scripture. This is where I would actually argue a lot for like reading the whole Bible and reading it very regularly, because that is the place where we're able to actually say like, 
No, I think you're pulling that out of context. I think actually when you look at the whole story of the Bible, it's very different than when you pull one verse out. And that's on us, right? We have to know scripture. We have to know kind of the movements of scripture, the grand arcs of scripture. But it is really helpful when we actually know a lot of scripture to be able to see when somebody's just playing with it. Somebody's just toying with it. Somebody's using it to take us in different directions. So I encourage you as much as you can to read the whole Bible so that you are actually prepared when someone comes at you specifically with something like scripture. You can be like, no, actually, if you look at the whole thing, you see a very different picture. So that's number one, push back with scripture. But there are some limitations of that, of course, because like, as we know, a good biblical scholar would still probably be able to kind of run circles around you um, and lead you in dangerous directions if you're not careful. And so this is the second thing I'm gonna give you, this simple question. Does this smell like Jesus? And I'm serious about that, right? When you see something, a path that you might be called to, or even like a, a social or political movement to get involved in, that's a good question to ask. Does it smell like Jesus? Not does it have a couple scripture verses that can support it, but does this movement, does this idea, does this calling, does this direction actually smell like Jesus? Does this career choice actually smell like Jesus? Does this look like the character and nature of Jesus? As Christians, we don't actually believe that every verse in the Bible carries the same weight. Jesus says that he comes to fulfill scripture. And so we actually run our interpretations of scripture through the life and teaching of Jesus. Sometimes we miss that. That the things that Jesus taught and engaged in are actually our norm for understanding the Bible. So you can make a case for just about anything in the Bible, right? You can make the case for genocide from the Bible. And yet, if you run it through the lens of Jesus, we see that Jesus, who is humble, who says, put away the sword, who says, turn the other cheek, who has every opportunity to engage in violence and says no. So when we are faced with difficult choices, that's the next good question to ask. Does this smell like Jesus? And then even then, I'm going to narrow us down one further. Know the Bible. Does this smell like Jesus? And in case we're still a little bit twisted up and we can't quite decide what Jesus would say about something or do about something, we'll go to a third one here, which is, does this look like the cross? If Jesus is the key to understanding the Bible and interpreting the Bible, the cross is the key to understanding Jesus and interpreting Jesus. And so again, when we face challenges, this is one of our questions. Does this look like the cross? Should I stick in this difficult relationship? Or should I bail on that person for something that looks so much more glamorous? Well, does this look like the cross? Should I crush my uh, opponent who thinks differently than me? Or should I try and love them? Does this look like the cross? In just about every area we can think about that. Should I give in to this indulgence over and over? Well, does this look like the cross? And so when we're faced with those tough choices, we can ask that, right? Does this look like scripture? Does this smell like Jesus? Does this look like the cross? And if the answer is no, then we have a pretty good idea that this might be the devil kind of leading us down the other way. 
And so we can see that, right? That this is what Jesus does. That Jesus is able to keep his focus on where he is going, even when he's been fasting for 40 days, even when these seem like very reasonable ideas, even when he's presented with scripture, because Jesus knows the cross. He knows that's where he's going. He knows that's his direction. And so he's able to cut away the other paths that might come at him. And we can go back through this passage and look at that. In each of these cases, he has the opportunity for something different and he chooses the cross. First with the stones to bread, right? I think it's fascinating. There's a lot of things you could take away from this, but Jesus has the opportunity to get rid of physical suffering. And he says, no. And I think that's fascinating to, to me. It just kind of brings me back to that old AA saying of like the only way out is through. So many of our temptations come from wanting to zap away our pain or get away from our discomfort as quickly as possible. And yet the way of the cross is to actually enter in. Whether it's into the brokenness of our own lives, whether it's into the sins we are dealing with, whether it's into the anxiety we are dealing with, or socially, right? When we see brokenness in our neighborhood or we see brokenness in, in like the younger generation, we see these things. It's way too easy to stand aside from it and condemn. But the Christian calling is to enter in. So Christ is willing to go through the hunger just as he's willing to enter in with broken people, just as he will endure the cross. And in all those places, as he walks through it with God, he comes out the other side to life, to resurrection. The second temptation, right? Jesus has offered all the kingdoms of the world. Are we astonished that he didn't take this right? Like, do we, do we, how often do we dwell on that? That Jesus could have been king and he could have been emperor and he says no. And just imagine what's going through his mind, right? Imagine all the good you could do. Imagine all the good you could do with a good Christian emperor. That might seem like a ridiculous thought, but we've kind of been chasing that false gospel ever since. Really since, you know, the resurrection, we, we've kind of keep falling back into that one. If only we had more political power. If only we had a Christian king. If only we had the power up there, then we could really have a Christian nation. And yet Jesus turns this away. He turns away from political power in order to build a community, like a small community of sinners and skeptics. Isn't that crazy? And so that's that challenge to us, right? Like if we actually want like a Christian nation, like that's not the president's job, that's our job. To create little pockets of the kingdom of God on every corner and every neighborhood in America. That's the job of the church. And it comes from the bottom up, not from the top down. Every time we buy into an idea of if we just had more political power, the gospel gets corrupted and ultimately it becomes a gospel of can we destroy our enemies? So we need to always remember that Jesus had every opportunity to become king. And instead he chose to build this small community of people that knew him and came to look like him. And this was his means of healing the world and bringing the kingdom of God. And lastly, the third temptation, the, the gospel that is spectacular, right? Again, just as Jesus chose not to be king, do we, do we often like ponder the fact that Jesus didn't build a megachurch? Like if anybody could have. And what a reasonable idea, right? Imagine the influence. 
Imagine the influence if you had 20,000 people there every week to hear Jesus teach. And yet every time that crowd gets too big, what's Jesus do? He sends them away. He retreats up into the mountains. He says things like eat my body and drink my blood. And that has a good way of kind of dispersing the crowd pretty quickly. And yet again, we fall into this over and over. And again, if we think if we just had more people or more resources, we could do really great things. But what we always see is that ministries that grow big that fast usually fall apart just that fast. And instead, Jesus trades this in for the path of discipleship, for forming people, for knowing people, for walking humbly with people, which is ultimately good news for us, right? Because so often we think that if I were just more charismatic, if I were just more intelligent, if I could just talk better, then I could really do things for God. And yet there's good news in here that the humbly walking with others is actually what God values most, the path of discipleship. That God's power is made perfect in weakness. And this is the cross that we don't actually blow ourselves up in order to gain influence for God, but instead just walk humbly with others in humility and empathy. And this is how the kingdom of God comes. Each of these false gospels make promises that they will get rid of sin and brokenness and pain. but all of them are a sugar high. They're all a veneer. And against them, the cross might seem like a bummer, right? It's like, who wouldn't rather have free bread than dying? Given that choice, right? It's like, oh, let's get some free bread. But the cross is the actual means to life. The cross is the place we go to where sin and brokenness and death are actually destroyed. The cross is not actually the place of self-loathing, right? This is where we mess it up to think that the cross is the total depravity place of God, I suck, God, I suck. Instead, the cross is the place where we go to God and surrender before the all-loving God and say, let your power come and make things new. So these temptations will come. Because we are human, they will come. And they'll make a lot of great promises that they'll get rid of everything. They'll make life easier. We'll experience no more pain or discomfort ever again once we have these things. And yet, if we actually go to the cross in those places, we will find life. Sin will be destroyed. Brokenness will be destroyed. Death itself will be destroyed. Because the cross is the gospel. The cross is the means to destroy sin, the means to the kingdom of God, the means to truly know God. As Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.